and welcome to episode 26 of Fitness Unfiltered. I'm Jocelyn thompson Rule, and today I speak with my good friend, Corey Wharton-Malcolm. Corey is a coach, he's a consultant, he's a fitness facilitator and all-round creative founder and owner of Track Mafia. He is one of Nike Running's head coaches and is also the host of his very own podcast, The Tub Hub, which is recorded in his bathtub. Corey, I am obsessed with. You cannot miss him. You'll know this if you ever meet him. His work and capacity for work is incredible. And I'm just obsessed with how he has built community with Track Mafia. He's uniquely him. And I think more of us can tap into that and be unapologetically ourselves. So I hope you enjoy the show. He tells me his story, which I've heard in full now listening back to it for the first time. And whilst he has done so much, it just feels like this is also the very beginning of some of his incredible work so i hope you enjoy the show as ever if you do please leave a review on itunes or wherever you are listening and that is all from me Corey, how are you i am fantastic (laughs) how are you i'm very well okay so Corey, for all of the people who are not aware of your wonderful self please introduce yourself Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm not sure what time it is that you're listening to this. But as Jocelyn said, my name is Corey Wharton Malcolm, aka Bit Beefy on Instagram. I am the co-founder of Track Mafia. I am one of the head coaches at Nike Run Club. I run a podcast called The Tub Hub and I love running. Amazing. How did you get into running, Corey? I got into running probably back in 2006. I was like really overweight and a friend of mine went to go, sorry, a friend of mine ran the marathon and I went to watch them run the marathon. And I've lived in London my entire life. I had watched the marathon on television, but never been to see it in person. So the first time I saw it in person, I was blown away by the energy, by like how people were like looking after each other, hyping each other up, like complete strangers. So I was like, oh, I want a bit of this. I want <laughs> I want people cheering and screaming my name. Who don't so, even know me. Yes. Yeah, who doesn't know me. So I kind of started running. And when I suggested to my friends that I was even thinking about running a marathon the following year, they laughed, which is kind of what spurred me on even more. Absolutely, absolutely. And the marathon, going to the marathon is infectious, isn't it? Because you're like, oh my God, look at all these people, oh, look at those people running. Oh my God. And then you're crying because you're looking at, you know, all the names and the t shirts. It's like, yeah, I'm t- you're signed up by that night. Exactly. So uh, having done two, I'm kind of like, I'm not, I'm not going to watch it again because. <laughs> I just, I just sign up for another one. Okay. And so. Tell me a little bit, so obviously running is a a huge joy of yours. Tell me a little bit about Track Mafia and what your inspiration was to get that started. I basically ran something called Rundem Crew West over in Westminster. A guy called Charlie Dark ran something called Rundem Crew and he basically needed an overflow or a place that people would come to, I guess, 
get a little bit faster, get a little bit better, get a little bit more vibey, whatever the reason, and then they would go over to East London. So basically, we had Random Crew West on a Monday. Um, a few people who went to Random Crew West, they also did track in school or they had other running experience and they just wanted to do track. I used to run for Dulwich Runners and because I was going to Random Crew, I was missing out on track sessions. So the three of us were just like, oh, why don't we do track? I work upstairs. Um, so my two friends, Jeggy and Jules, they could drop their bags upstairs. So we're like, oh, we're just going to do track. And that is, that's literally how it started. And the inspiration behind it was we wanted to work on our consistency and we wanted to become stronger runners. And the way to become a stronger runner, well, this is what we were thinking back then, was to just be more consistent, like work on our pace. So there was no big master plan. It was just friends running. Mm. So I often think, because obviously, you know, you've created a huge community now. You know, I feel like so many people know about Track Mafia and same with Rundem. But that it started, I guess, without a plan, you yes. know, as it were. And it was just like, oh, we want to do this. Okay, let's do that. All right, cool. Let's get it going. And now it's, you know, this, you know, huge movement, I guess. Um, <laughs> When did you start to see that, for want of a better phrase, when it had legs? <laughs> like... um, yeah, no, you're right. Um, we realised that it had legs probably maybe a year into it, I want to say. Maybe a year or 18 months into it. Yeah, I would say 18 months into it. And that was because... I guess more people were interested, more people were intrigued by what it was that we were doing because back then, I'm not saying that we didn't use social media, but we certainly didn't use it in the way that we do now. When we realized it had legs was when we sat down and said, ah, one, people are interested, two, our voice is very different, and three, like this isn't happening right now. So kind of the first 18 months was just, wee friends, running, running friends. <laughs> and then I guess after the 18 months, it was, okay, even though we are running friends, we have a voice and there's a possibility to amplify our voice, not for money, not for fame, not for fortune, but to, I guess, spread, <laughs> it sounds <laughs> terrible, but to, to spread good vibes, to like spread love. And we, I kind of started working with a friend of mine, Chop, who runs or who's one of the, the CEOs of Rosie Lee, which is a, a creative agency. And myself, him and another friend of mine, we all sat down and we worked together on branding, on logos. And I and my girlfriend, Jules, kind of set the tone of the brand and that's kind of when it had legs. It was when we came back after Christmas one year. It was Christmas, New Year, and Chop literally sent me a text message. And he was like, oh, like, you know, should we have a go at this? <laughs> that was literally kind of what the message was like. Yeah. And at that stage, how many people were coming to your sessions? You know, what did that kind of look like? 
So from a session point of view, before it had legs, it was three of us, then four, then five, then six, then it kind of worked up to about 10. In the beginning, we were like, no, no one can come. This is just for us. We're not coaching other people. This is just for us. And then I guess after we put the bat signal out, we came back from our Christmas break and we had like nearly 100 runners when before Christmas... Uh, we broke up like mid-December. It was a normal kind of 20 or 30. Yeah. And it wasn't like 100 was a normal number. That wasn't a normal number. It was like a normal number was 20, 30. And if it spiked, there were like 35 <laughs> or 40. Yeah. But to yeah. come back and have 100, we were blown away. Yeah, amazing. So certainly in, you know, I think in, in fitness, there's often this, pressure to be different to do something different and you know be that I think you kind of get into people like okay what's your niche what's your speciality what's this and then to me that is just so much pressure even now you know kind of 17 years deep or whatever but you know you said that you were different then what was different about you do you think at that time what was different about us is not many people will openly say this, but I scream it from the rooftops. Running's boring. Like running <laughs> is like running's dry. <laughs> so <Okay. laughs> in order for someone such as myself, as in the way that my brain operates, in order for running to be sustainable and for running to be fun, like there has to be more to it than <laughs> just putting one foot in front of the other. And that was literally our angle. That was what, at the time, made us different. So Charlie was doing his stuff. Charlie was very, very active over in East London, in London, in the world. And he was doing stuff on the road. He was building communities and changing people's lives, whereby on track, everyone was so scared of track. Everyone was so scared of speed because people were so concerned about not running fast, not taking it too seriously, not acting like they like care about times or things like that. It was more about this is a, a beautiful thing that I'm participating in and it's making me feel well. And that's awesome. But what like our different or what our angle was, was we are going to, I guess, take what we've learned at Random Crew, take what we've learned from Charlie and to a point, I guess, apply part of those learnings to track. And that is that track is quite a lonely place normally, even though you do have teammates. When you're out there, like you're on your Todd and more often than not, you're trying to run yourself into the ground. So it was about us still trying to run ourselves into the ground, but we were going to talk about it differently. We were going to share our stories differently. And we looked very, very different to, I guess, the kind of runners that we would see running in cross-country races or on television or on the front of magazines or in running magazines. So it was like, we're going to create this space for ourselves to just do what we want <laughs> where yeah. no one can ask us what we're doing or why we're doing yeah. it this way. It's just kind because of wandering around. Own, yeah, it's our own thing. Yeah. 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 So how did you do that? Like, how did you make effectively, you know, running yourself into the ground on the track attractive to people? Like, as if I think, I remember <laughs> we, we were having coffee one day or something, 
and I was saying to you, oh, I'm going <laughs> to... I'm gonna go for a run on the treadmill, and you're like, "So what?" Yeah, treadmill, huh? Why don't you want to go outside? And I was like, "God, Corey, don't be so annoying." <laughs> but you know, there is anxiety in my bones when I think about going to the track because I know what that means. If I've got control on the treadmill, or I can just press a button if I need to, that feels comfortable for me. Like, so how did you? make that attractive to people um we told the truth and i know that sounds weird but we didn't lie about it so from the very beginning we had a couple of i guess phrases or things that we would say but one of the things that i used to constantly drive home as well as jeggy and jules was embrace discomfort and that is all of you want to get better and better doesn't necessarily mean speed better doesn't Like whenever people say better, people think about speed. But when I think about better, I think about your mind, your body, your soul. Like even if you were slower, it could have been a better run because when you finished, (laughs) you felt awesome. And this is kind of what we kept saying to people. It's like if you want to get better, if you want to improve, not necessarily in speed, but if you just want to enjoy running a little bit more, then embrace some discomfort. And this is how we embraced discomfort. This is how we got stronger. This is how we prepared ourselves. And also what we started to do was talk more about what went on outside of what went on at track. So what people tended to love about our storytelling or the things that we shared is you didn't just see Corey or Jeggy or Jules or other members of Trap Mafia like just bossing it at competitions. What you saw was... We used to meet her at Starbucks or at one of the other coffee shops before we went to track. We then used to like talk about stuff in the changing room. We then used to go through all of the workouts. Then straight after we would talk about it and then we would go for dinner. Then we would go and have drinks. Like all of that stuff to many people, they haven't seen all of those things. So people weren't just attracted to track and to times they were attracted to the lifestyle because they're like, oh, okay. So even though we go to track for an hour and a half and, or two hours and like brutalize ourselves, <laughs> it's awesome that we get to meet friends for coffee before and we get to eat dinner after and we get to celebrate the carnage at track together. So we're not by ourselves. So it was about camaraderie, food. It was about sharing your world. And it yeah. just so happened that track was the vehicle. Yeah, amazing. And as you say, then, you know, all of a sudden, running isn't boring. It's a, no. it's a thing <laughs> which you've been very real about. Like, team, this is going to hurt a little bit. In order for you to get better, this is going to hurt. So as long as I've communicated that with you and you're cool, and then we have, like, the stuff at the start, which has got nothing to do with running. That's about yeah. me asking <laughs> you an individual. And then the bit at the end where we've actually gone through that discomfort and we're still here and we're still friends. That's amazing. And that is so, so different. Um, and I also like what you said about, you know, getting better isn't measured by getting faster. And that if you, you know, felt better after that run, that is progress. And that's something that I feel is so much a part of how I try to communicate with people in terms of, you know, what does progress actually look like in the gym? Is it that you added an extra five kilos or 10 kilos onto your squat or is it that that movement felt better 
than it did last week. You're more comfortable doing that movement. That is progress. Like it's not just exactly. a, a number. It's just, it's also a, a feeling. And that's, you know, numbers are just so removed from all the other layers of progress that we can accomplish that are just these like tiny little moments, you know, in our training and in our life. And also that is what you've kind of done with that is said again, yes, there's discomfort, but actually, you know, we are here to support you on either side of that, which is amazing. And it's the same message for life, isn't it? Because I assume that because (laughs) they had that like physical discomfort in the session and they had this support framework around it, that within that, in those coffee moments beforehand or the dinner after, they might feel comfortable to go, do you know what, this part of my job sucks or I'm having this bit of trouble here or, you know what I mean? Because they feel that discomfort with you during the running part but then again that that support network is is built so I actually didn't know that about how that was all developed because even when you were just saying that to me now and you were like yeah because running is boring and we want to that, I'm like, how do you make running because <laughs> I don't look I don't mind running I'm quite happy to run I kind of find it quite an easy thing to do to just kind of go and lace up my shoes and go for a run and I know that other people do not feel that way but to have done it in the way that you have done it is incredible. So where is Track Mafia now? Obviously you are, well, not currently, but you know, you zing around the world. I am lucky <laughs> at you for a two minute coffee um, with, uh, you know, around the world with Nike running. When you see where everything has got to now, what are your thoughts around it? You're here, there and everywhere at races around the world. Track Mafia is huge. How does that feel? There are moments when it feels awesome, but as soon as it feels awesome, I slap myself in the face and be like, yeah, it's cool what we've done, but there's so much more to be done and there's so much more that could have been done. Like there are so many people out there who still think running is boring. (laughs) There are still so many people out there who are still, I guess, either intimidated to whether it is come to track or to start running or to just begin their fitness journey. So like I'm overjoyed at what Track Mafia has done and I'm overjoyed at the, I guess, the progress that the team has made and that I've made, but I know there's, there are so many other things to do. There are so many more, I guess, lives to save. And I know that sounds like a, a ridiculous statement, but running genuinely does save people's lives because I know some people will misunderstand my comment when I say running is boring, like just running the act of putting one foot in front of the other, that is boring and monotonous. But if you speak to a lot of people, like those people who have, I guess, perfected whatever their skill is, that's what it is. It's like mastering boredom. That's that's what you that's what you have to do to become amazing at something. You have to master like being bored of it. And yeah. like yeah. that's what I love about running. It is so testing and it's a a perfect example for I guess for life. And the reason why I say that is you can put 
everything into running your heart, your soul and train as hard as you want. And then come marathon day or whatever race day, the world just says, nah. Yeah. I don't really, I don't, you've, you've done everything that you're supposed to have done. But what I'm going to do is just a couple of miles into this race that you've trained the year for, I'm just going to pop your car. And it's like, how do you prepare for that? And that, that's life. So like we use Track Mafia for a number of things. And when I say use, I mean, we use it as a vehicle for change. So we work with charities, we work with young people to give them access to the same, I guess, wonderfulness that we've had access to. Amazing. So if you've never met lovely Corey before, (laughs) (laughs) the one word I might use amongst many is bright. Yes. (laughs) So you cannot be missed walking down the road, usually with an odd pair of bright socks on, Perhaps yep. some leopard skin thrown in the mix somewhere yes. and just general brightness. And what I love about you, as I've told you a million times before, is that you are absolutely 100% uniquely you. And I love that. <laughs> and I think that, and, you know, obviously I work with a, a lot of women in fitness, in particular in terms of, of coaches and the feeling is always, what's different about me? How am I different to other people? This level of, you know, imposter syndrome. What are people going to think? Blah, 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 blah. And to me, you're like, I'm just going to lean into who I am. And that's me. Was that always the case? And if not, how did you move from wherever that was to who you are now the most wonderful, unique, (laughs) because I, and I've told you this before that you are infectious, the work that you do, you being you, was it always that way? Yes. And no, closer to no. Um, and the reason why I say yes and no is I was always weird or I was always, (laughs) I I always had, I had, I had, Like I always had a different point of view on things and I always wanted to be different. But until probably 2012, 2013, I didn't fully embrace, I guess, my differences. And slowly but surely, I've kind of like I've stopped leaning. I've now just started elbow barging (laughs) into my uniqueness purely because I've realized that a large majority of the people who now some people will take this the wrong way, but please do not. A large majority of the people who look at you and point at you and be like, you're different, you're weird is because they don't understand why you would want to be different, why you would want to be weird, why you would want to stick out, why you wouldn't want to blend in. And what's interesting about I guess the way that I view things is I I don't actually want to stick out. I just don't want to blend in. And I know that's a bit of an oxymoron, but that's just the way things are. And what happens is, is over time, you kind of try a little thing. And what happens is, is, is people poop on your head. They're like, no, that's, that's ridiculous. Or that's terrible. Or that's not how things are done. Or you should be more of a conformist. 
And in order for you to, I guess, to, to fight your way through that, you have to take a lot of trash. You have to take a lot of people saying different isn't right. And that happened for a long time. And people still do laugh at me. Like people still do point and be like, oh, like that guy's weird or what are you wearing or why are you doing this or why are you doing that? And I kind of say to them, I'm doing it because you're not. And (laughs) that throws a lot of people like, what do you mean? I'm just like, well, we can't all do what you're doing. Yes, a majority of people are doing what you're doing, but I like to be a little bit different. As in, so if I see something that somebody else is doing, I don't look at that and want to copy it. I'm more inspired by it. I'm like, oh, that's really cool what Jocelyn has done. What's my thing? (laughs) Instead of trying to copy like somebody else's. And I guess a lot of people say, like, how can they find their superpower? Like, you already know what your superpower is. You just don't want to admit it. And I say this to loads of people that I speak to, like, oh, like, oh, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to do... And I say to them, that's awesome <laughs> that you want to do all of these things, but what can you do right now today? Like, what's your superpower today? And when you you talk to them and you nurture that superpower out of them, many people are, oh, I didn't want that superpower. <laughs> and you're like, well, what do you mean? Well, and that goes back it. to the comfort thing again, doesn't yeah. it? Because it's kind of like that's cool that you want that, but the reality is, is that so many people are not going to be comfortable with you wanting to be, you know, uniquely you or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you have to come up against that, as you say. You know, even when I heard that, I was like, dare people say that to you now? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. But it's that thing. And actually, prior to this call, I actually was on a, a, a mentorship call with my mentorship students. And I had a guest um, speaker on this evening. And um, and she is a mental performance coach. And she works with very high level athletes. And so it was such a, you know, a dream to have her, you know, come on and, and speak to everybody. And one of the questions that I had from one of my students was, you know, how do you find your why? Or, you know, how do you know what your why is? And her answer, which I thought was brilliant, because obviously there's books, you know, is it the Simon Sinek book around, you know, find your why? And and she said, you know, most people should most people already know their why. They just don't, I guess, show up for it or, you know, like, you know, your why is a is a feeling. It's not your manifesto necessarily or your what should we call it, your mission statement or whatever. You know what that is. But actually, it takes a huge amount of courage to then follow that that through. And another point you made there, oh, yeah, so exactly that of you've got the position that you're in now and you've got the position or the vision of where you want to get to. And I think that people can hide behind planning, research, to, oh, yeah. know, kind of stuff or you know procrasta planning is a is a term (laughs) great and because you can you can just cover yourself and i've got so much to do before i do that i've got to get the website up i've got to do this get my business cards really i mean who i I don't know it's like just just do the thing but also it's got to move you closer to that goal and it has to be baby steps and it has to be a tiny thing and one of the things i get all of the mentorship group to do is to take something called 
a leap and it's it's from this book by a lady called um, Tara Moore and it's called Playing Big and what she suggests is you know you've got your goal but what can you do as you said in the next one to two weeks to actually physically move towards that goal so you know it can't be a list a task and anything like that I can't now remember let me just where is my little (laughs) yeah so these are the things so um it gets you playing bigger now so it's not like this dream in the in the future it can be finished within one to two weeks so do the damn thing but it's simple and something that you could describe like in a sentence it's not this super complex thing that you can get lost in it Mm. might be like call this person or email this person (laughs) it gets adrenaline flowing because yeah you should be a bit scared it puts you, this is the big one, it puts you into contact with the audience that you want to reach or influence. So it's actually reaching out to a person who you are at risk of, you know, them saying, well, I don't know who you are, or what are you doing, but I'm not interested. Justin, do you know that's how I left my job? Really? Really? That, so that is how I originally left my nine to five job and went track mafia full time. Oh, okay. I woke up one morning and obviously other things had happened previously as I, I had other thoughts. I just woke up one morning and I was like, I don't really want to do this job anymore. And I have no idea how I'm going to get out of this job, but I've been going to Rundum Crew and going to Spartan Fam and going to a couple of other organizations. And I've met a bunch of people that I never even knew existed. What the hell are freelancers? <laughs> that was literally my question. Who are these people? Who are these people? You kind of waft around with this air of importance, but you're not really doing anything. So what do you do? And I just asked loads of people, like, what do you do? And when they told me what they did, I was like, these are not real jobs. But but you lot are getting paid. How have you got a mortgage and two kids by floating around? I want to do this. And... I literally started asking people, how do you do this? How do you do this? Mm. And then I went to another friend of mine and then I asked my girlfriend, Jules, and I was like, what should I do? Like, I want to get out of, and she literally, her and another friend of mine, Beth, they literally said, make a list of, I guess, what you deem your skills to be and how useful you think these skills are and then write a list of things that these skills are useful for. And I was like, okay, cool. So I basically wrote a list of all of the things that I was able to do. And then I started arranging meetings with people who I thought could help me get out of my job. So I arranged a meeting with Charlie. Um, I arranged a meeting with uh, Chop, who you met on the call or you know from the calls. Um, I arranged a meeting with another guy called Simon, um, who runs a magazine called Light the Wind and a few other people, and I basically, like, took all of these notes from these people and slowly but surely started writing my departure Bible. (laughs) Oh, I love it. (laughs) And the only thing that stopped me from leaving was I tore my meniscus. So I was thinking about leaving work anyway, and then I tore my meniscus, so took time off, and I had loads and loads of time off after my knee surgery, and a couple of days after I went back to work, I was like, I really, I really can't do this anymore. Like, this is not for me. I've met all of these awesome people yeah. and like, I want their life. So I handed my notice in and that was that. 
When was that? That was 2012, was it? Um, no, 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 no. So that was 2015. 2015. Yeah, okay. that was 2015. And so I remember... Five years? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was in 2015. And I remember someone kept saying to me, oh, like, you know, you have to jump, you have to jump, you have to jump. And I'm like, yeah, I've yeah. got bills to pay, man. Would you mean, would you mean I have to jump? And someone said it to me, and I can't remember who it was, but they basically said a parachute is is there for one thing, and that is to save your life. And it's up to you what you do with that. And I kind of said, yeah, it's there to save your life. But at the same time, it is there to pull you back and to slow you down, fluff it, and out the plane or off the cliff I jumped. And I smashed my head up on some rocks, but I survived. Yeah, and you wouldn't turn back. No, 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 no. I wouldn't turn back. Like, I still... Like, it's funny that you speak about imposter syndrome because I still get imposter syndrome. And when oh, I say huh. that... I mean, you oh, hear for it every day. Come on. Yeah, I still get imposter syndrome. Like, I wake up, I'm like, oh, my goodness, you want me to do what? And you forget that you can do it. But because the ask in real terms is ridiculous, you, you're like, oh, can I do this? And then once you're out there, you're like, yeah, I can. Yeah. And also with, I mean, with imposter syndrome as well, it always just sort of, if I have it, it then just drives me to, you know, make sure that I really know my stuff, really have everything. You know what I mean? Because you're like, oh God, I feel like I shouldn't be here right now. So let me just make sure that I don't get caught out. (laughs) Everything is like, you know, researched, whatever it is. And then the final one in that, in this leap, is that you leap with an intent to learn. And that's my favorite part, because to me, that means that, you know, how do you learn? You learn from failing. So you leap knowing that this thing may not happen. And then that's when you, if the thing doesn't happen, that's when you go, all right, back to the drawing board. What does that look like? And much to your point earlier about, you know, what Track Mafia became, it's one or has become, it's just one of those things where when you want a certain thing to happen or you have certain values behind something or your why or whatever that is, and so you pour yourself into that, and I don't know if this is this way for you, but it certainly feels like it is for me, is that you pour yourself into something and then the very thing that you're trying to create in you know over whatever period of time actually starts forming before your eyes and you're like yes. okay cool right okay great i'm on the right track right, yes. you know and yeah it's to me it's a really beautiful thing you know when that happens one thing that i constantly think and i feel very lucky that you know, kind of as I get older, I don't feel like it's too late. And in fact, due to you and, you know, some other people, this is now happening for me. But one of the things that I feel like I lacked a lot, um, and and, uh, which I really sort of hungered for, particularly in the last few years, was just someone to tell me like, okay, Joss, you've got this, go for it. And I've had snippets of it, you know, from friends or, you know, work colleagues or whatever, but I've always desired this person to scoop me up and go, right, you know, go for it. This is the thing. This is what you can do. And then about a year or two, I just kind of let go of that. And I was like, this person isn't coming to save you. (laughs) (laughs) So have you not got that person, Joss? It's not here. I mean, I have snippets of it. 
I have snippets of it and I certainly had it in my, you know, in earlier parts of my career. And by that, I mean, um, I just happened to work with good people. And, you know, BJ is, is always a sounding board for me, you know, which is obviously amazing. But I, I sort of really yearned. I felt like, you know, in the last few years where I was kind of doing all of these different things, I really kind of yearned for somebody to give me, you know, true direction that I was like, mm-hmm. okay, this person is not coming along. So you need to just pull up your socks and do the damn thing, which is fine. And now I'm kind of like, okay, just create whatever it is you want. Just, just carve the space. That's fine. So that's cool. But one of the things that you've spoken about before is just having really honest peers around you to yeah. tell you, Corey, that's a shit idea. Don't yeah. roll with that. <laughs> you know, so, you know, talk more about that. Cause I think a, that's so important. And I think B, it's a thing that people need, but it's the very thing that people are fearful of at the start with, you know, imposter syndrome or like, oh God, what are people going to say? It's that fear of judgment from others that stops people from doing the thing. And in fact, that's the very thing that you need. You need that honesty with people who are interested in seeing you grow yep. in order to grow. There are going to be people who just put you down because that's their vibe and that's what they want to do. But just, I guess, talk a little bit around you know, having those on this peers around you and, and how that's kind of helped you? So probably a large majority of the people that I surround myself with are not yes men or women. They'll look at me and be like, cool, that's trash. Don't put that <laughs> in you. What is that? Why is that? And that is what helps me to stay so honest and so grounded because I have all of these people who regardless of what I do or where I am in my career or in my my life, my personal life, business life, I'm still just Corey. Yeah. Like I'm still the idiot from school with the, the afro or the receding hairline or with the big head. Like that hasn't changed. And then all of my, I guess, my newer friends who haven't been with me since childhood all of those are incredibly real and honest as well. But that hasn't just come. As in, so all of the people that I am with nowadays, these are people that have grown with me at some point and stage on my journey. And they are all mentors of me. But what I have had to navigate over the past couple of years, well, we all have to navigate it, is you have to pick who you go to with what. So you have to know your friends. You have to know, like, all right, to put it in simple terms, you have to know who's going to help you with boxing technique and who's going to help you with lifting weights, who's going to help you with running. But then at the same time, you have to understand that the people that you're going to go to to ask for help, they have to be, like, wind in your sails. Like, the people that you surround yourself with, you're supposed to be this pod that kind of helps each other to grow. If you have people in that pod who are are either there just to climb all over people's backs or to put people down, then you don't need them. You don't need those people in your pod. What you need is people who are going to give you honest, real feedback, and they're not just going to give you what's wrong with it. They're going to help you with a solution. There's no point you telling me that this is terrible unless you can identify why it's terrible or how I can change it. Don't yes. just sit there and be like, yes. oh, this is trash. Why? Because mm. I've had a bad day. That's, <laughs> the, that doesn't, that's not helping anybody. Yeah, that's, so, that's not a good reason. 
Yeah. No. So it's about surrounding yourself with people who are going to be honest and true to you. But at the same time, you have to be strong enough, whether it's on the inside or on the outside, for to be able to take someone looking at you and saying, this thing that you've just spent the last month working your back off on, they think it's terrible. But they're telling you it's terrible because they love you, because they are your friend. Like, I can think of examples where my friends have said to me, nah, mate, that's terrible, put that down. And I've gone with it. And the people who I didn't want to tell me it was terrible did. So yeah, it's about being able to surround yourself with good people, but knowing who to talk to and how to take that feedback. And actually, even, um, you know, I think for me, once I made that decision of stop looking for, you know, someone to come along and do whatever. I don't know what I was looking for this saviour to come along and do, but they never showed up. <laughs> but since making that decision, you know, I and, and kind of deciding, right, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, create this path for myself. All of a sudden, I guess that that change in my thought process. So then who do you look to, Joss? Well, now, once I made that decision, I now feel like I have a lot of people who I can turn to or, you know, run a question by or, you know, this was my interaction with this person. This is my feeling. Am I like, was I wrong in that? Or <laughs> you're like, no, that person was a dick. You know, yeah. so you're like, okay, fine. <laughs> or, you know, I had a very specific one, actually. Um, so as you know, my... um father passed recently and BJ and I went to his house and we um, were clearing some stuff out and that was the you know the first time I was kind of you know going there since he had died and so I just didn't know what my feeling was going to be and I had one specific friend and I said to her you know Nita can you be available between this time and this time because that will be the time that I'm driving home from Coventry and BJ was going to be driving his car my dad's car back home to be parked in our car park downstairs and so I was going to be alone with my thoughts and I knew that she would be able to talk me through that journey home if I couldn't get myself home and so I definitely have like there are definitely specific people that I'm like I need you for this I need you for this and and you know that they are there so I feel very lucky now that I do have that but I think it was once I'd made the decision stop looking for this you know I think the mistake was in looking for one person to do yeah. all the things and when I decided I was going to be the person that was going to take the risk myself and I'm a, yeah. I'm a risk taker anyway don't get me wrong <laughs> but that I was going to take the risk myself that was when all the people kind of that I needed came along which was uh, which has been really cool and now even you know since lockdown we've obviously had you know lots of calls I've met some phenomenal people and it just <laughs> feel like oh my gosh like there are so many wonderful people that I've now been put in touch with and you know even it's very under wraps at the moment but in light of because we are for um, anyone who is listening beyond the year that is 2020 <laughs> yes year, a uh, lot happened <laughs> There, oh, I mean, a lot happened in 2020. Yeah, so just for anyone that's not currently in 2020 listening to this, lots gone down in 2020. Uh, obviously, we found ourselves in, you know, the middle of a pandemic, which we, which we are still very much in the coronavirus pandemic, and also it will be, I think, 
two weeks ago today, the death of George Floyd has sparked a lot of, obviously quite rightly so, conversation around the state of racism today in 2020 and how very little has changed in many respects. And for me, and I feel like for you as well, and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel this time a change is you know, on the cards. And if it's not, I don't know what is actually going to cause change. But I mean, I think there's this big talk around, you know, um, analyzing everything. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of um, hurt. There's a lot of anger. There are all of these emotions that come, you know, in waves. Um, and again, one of the one of the big things I'll remember about 2020 is this, that the concept of time is completely yeah. thrown out window a day can feel like a week um, (laughs) so much can happen you're kind of like was that this morning did that happen this morning wow that felt like that was two weeks ago you know so the whole I guess time is an illusion completely came into its own in 2020 but now a lot of the focus is around you know what action is being taken how are people going to move forward for me I'm very much a sit with my thoughts person and I will you know, look and analyze what action looks like for me or, you know, the business that I do, the work that I do. What changes, if any, are you going to make at all? Is there any change for you? What does that look like? I think, like, first and foremost, the change that is going to come from myself personally and from a, I guess, a business point of view is being more vocal about the work that we have already been doing. I want to talk more about the lives that we touch. I want to, I guess, storytell more about the kind of young people and adults um, from the Black community that are doing awesome, amazing things already, whose voices aren't being amplified. I would like to... I guess be how can I word this? <laughs> this this sounds weird. I'm I try and do my best to be a role model to young people, young adults and especially young black males and young black females. And the reason why I try and be a mentor to them is because I'm not saying I know every single black man or or black woman struggle because I certainly could not, but I know one thing that we do have in common and that is the fact that we all face racism we all face like racial bias and what is like i hope this doesn't get taken out of context but what is amazing about this point in time right now in 2020 is i am how old am i 41 years old and this is the first time in (laughs) this is the first time in my life that i have spoken openly about racism like this is the and when I say like spoken openly, like for forty years I've I've spoken to my black friends about it because we all experience it. Or I have spoken to my non black friends who I guess have seen me experience things like that. But this is the first time that like many, many black people in the United Kingdom, in the USA, across the world have felt, I guess you can look at it in one of two ways, either comfortable enough or upset enough to just 
talk about how they feel, talk about their experiences, talk about change, talk about what it is that they feel is needed to make change. And what I'm going to do more of is, is, is talk about it. Like that's one thing that I'm I'm taking forward. I'm going to talk about it more. And it is a subject. It is something that makes people feel uncomfortable. But for those people wincing or feeling uncomfortable listening to it, imagine living in it. Imagine like knowing full well that everywhere, not everywhere you go, but many of the places that you go, just by walking in, you're not going to be viewed as an equal. And none of us have ever really openly said that to friends who haven't experienced it. And I think it's a beautiful thing that we've grown in a way whereby, well, it's not even we've grown. <laughs> it's we've wanted to say this for a while. And like many of us have just had enough. So what I'm going to be taking forward is I'm going to be more vocal about the things that we're doing to champion our black brothers and sisters. And I'm also going to do more work to get them involved. I'm going to do more work to find out what it is that they feel is missing. Because from my point of view, I don't think people in positions of power are highlighted enough. As in, let me give you this as an example. Before I met Charlie, I didn't know that I could do what he did. I didn't know that was a possibility. had no idea that I could be a creative or I could waft around or I could run. I didn't know that was a thing. So why is there not more storytelling around people like Charlie? Like, for instance, uh, a friend of, well, you know him as well, Kemi, who works at Nike. Kemi started working on the shop floor in Nike Town. He's now, like, as far as I know, one of the, I'm not even sure what his job title is, but he's very high at Nike. It's the same thing as my friend Gabriel. He went from shop floor all the way to HQ. Like, who's telling these stories? And you can't, more often than not, unless you are a superhuman being, you can't be what you cannot see as, like, yeah, we have, we all have imagination. The scientist is probably going to tell me I'm wrong, but... You can't imagine stuff that you have never, ever... Like, if you've spent your entire life looking at a black wall, what would you imagine? Mm-hmm. Like, you, you haven't got any other input. So, like, if you can't show me, like, what these people are doing or what they've done, how do I know it's possible? Like, for other people, you just make stuff up in your head. You're like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll go off and do this. I'll be a groundbreaker. I'll knock down the wall. But not everybody is like that. So I went off on a bit of a, a bit of a tangent there. No, no, it's good. It's good, but it is. It, it's if you, you know, can't see it, then you know how do you know that you can be it? You know, there's even so a lot of a lot of you know my work is is around you know women and fitness, and for me, I'm you know very much going back to the drawing board and on you know areas of of my work and. You know, I've, you know, obviously I run the Women in Fitness Summit and, you know, I've heard people say before, you know, why is it, you know, because my, you know, my work was working towards, you know, in 10 to 20 years time, I want for the fitness industry to look like a different, a different space. And I know that some of the things that are highlighted now might be around, you know, kind of boutique fitness and how that's very different, but I'm, I'm not necessarily in that space. 
so I kind of, yeah, I'm kind of not in that. But, you know, one of the things was that, you know, I wanted to see good quality, you know, female coaches in the fitness industry in in 10 to 20 years time. And that's not to say that they don't exist now (laughs) at all some phenomenal coaches but there needs to be more and you know I've I've had comments you know said of you know well well why are you calling it the women in fitness summit if you want that equality then surely you should just call it the fitness summit and it's just kind of invariably that's said by somebody who already made it and so you know therefore doesn't suffer the imposter syndrome or whatever and has somehow forgotten what it was like when they started out but if you don't create that access you're not going to get to where you want to you want to go to because people are not going to be able to get their foot in the door and so you know I absolutely believe you know yet I didn't think you could be any louder darling but please get louder (laughs) (laughs) no I'm gonna try and be a little louder yeah no no it's so important and again I feel like the conversations over the weeks will, will change and evolve. And, but I feel where I am right now in this moment is, is just very excited by the prospect of what can be done um, and what is going to be done. And I know that I'm in, you know, different kind of conversations with different people about what that looks like. And I think it's, it's also very different um, from even what the thought process of what mm-hmm. action looked like a week ago or a week and a half ago and that's what really excites me because it actually has a lot of depth and it's kind of really sparked a fire within to you know be like yeah let's roll up the sleeves and and go for it and I and I don't think as well I think that maybe some people feel this pressure that they have to completely change what they do I don't think so at all but I mean some people maybe they do and some people would do nothing at all and that is that's you know that is what it is but I think that it's those small changes you know in the kind of undercurrents that will you know, create that long, long term change. And those those are long term projects. Like this is absolutely, you know, I know everyone's saying this, but it's a marathon and not a sprint. Yep. So I think that I'm really excited now by what action looks like with this. And uh yeah, it's it's a like I say, like twenty twenty man. Twenty twenty is twenty twenty was like, so what now? You thought you had plans for twenty twenty? Yeah, yeah, no. That- <laughs> The rug 2020, from was, 2020 wasn't even the year of the pivot 2020 <laughs> was the year of the new game like <laughs> someone blew the whistle in the middle of the game they were like we're going to the other pitch <laughs> <laughs> leave all your kit there yeah you know when you're in the middle of the game <laughs> yeah you're on a pitch that you've paid for for an hour it's 1-1 you have to finish the game and then someone just pulls the pin on the power and goes hey you've got to finish over there over there, over there, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, again, like when I recorded a podcast last week, I was really like, yeah, deep in the feels. And again, this is this is my whole, you know, thought process around how time is just like this weird concept at the moment. Because then, when I recorded, when I spoke to Emma, um, mm. I was just like, I don't know what that looks like. I just, I have no <laughs> idea. Felt like anxiety around it, like the around the thought of you know, because you know, let's not forget also, we're still you know in the middle of the coronavirus, which yeah. you know, I remember when the coronavirus first happened, and people were like, "I miss Brexit." And 
they miss Brexit. Just like the, the, you know, the thought of like, you know, that was what filled the news. Now, yeah. what do you mean I have to homeschool my kids and, you know, work from home and do, and just do things that no one even yeah. believed in their wildest dreams would happen, yeah. you know, and here we are. I can't remember where I was going with that. But yeah, 2020 is not playing, basically. Does, does <laughs> and, it scare you a little bit how used to this you have now become it doesn't scare me okay i think that is testament to how adaptable we are (laughs) that's a great answer that's an amazing answer (laughs) this Um, shows we're sas ninjas (laughs) but i also like i think that people feel you know in inverted commas once everything goes back to normal it's going to be different in terms of, you know, going back to normal after the coronavirus, I'm not sure it's going to be that much different. I know that we're going to understand that we can kind of work in a different way. And Mm. obviously there's a huge, you know, economic fallout from it, obviously. But I kind of think people are just going to carry on about their day. Like I think all of blown my mind. You know, like all of these people who are kind of like, oh, yeah, and all of this is going to change. I'm kind of like, mm. we're kind what, of preachers of habit. You know what I mean? But what blows my mind is, okay, so I fully understand people that want to go back to work. I fully understand that. I understand people that have to make a living, like you have that you have to work to keep you alive, to keep your family alive. But these yes. people that are rushing to barbecues, where are you going? <laughs> What are you doing? What are you in such a hurry for? I understand, you know, you've been locked inside, da 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 But if the medical advice is you could still be coughed on or you could still cough on someone and there's the potential quite that you might die. Yes. Why are you rushing to the park yes. to barbecue with 50 of your friends? I know what people miss so drastically. Yeah, it's mad. I don't know. It's a huge experiment, isn't it? It's a massive experiment. <laughs> it's a massive experiment. Someone's just there in some science lab and we're all in the test tube and they're like, hmm, just add a little bit more stress. But what, is, but what is really interesting about it is, like, this is, I'm not a conspiracy theorist and I don't believe this. I'm just putting it out there because it is quite interesting. That Think about, like, what has happened to the world with this virus as in this virus came out and all of us rightly so took the advice of the professionals and everyone just went inside so the road the world was empty for <laughs> because of this virus and, and like that, that blew happening? my mind like because yeah. if you said to someone right you you have to stay inside you can't go outside for this many days because of this this and this how many people would have followed it But the moment you say, right, okay, there's a virus and Mm. it could kill you, like everyone was Mm. inside. And that's testament to us being smart, clever people because we don't want to die. But it was just amazing that, like, I guess at the height of Corona, when everyone was inside and you were only allowed to go out for like half an hour in the day, I would go out for my run and it was like 28 days later. It was like a ghost town. Yeah, yeah, I never, yeah, I remember I was in the car. We'd run out of nappies. We never did the toilet <laughs> where people just 
lost their mind over toilet roll. So I was like, I'm just not going to worry about that. We mm-hmm. have a shower if necessary. <laughs> and I remember driving because I, I had to get um, nappies for Max. And yeah, I was just driving past this. It was like a, maybe it was like a Sainsbury's local or something. And there's a queue of people outside two meters apart with masks on and the roads are empty. And I, exactly the same thing. I was like, it feels like I'm in a film. Yeah, I'm in a movie. So strange, you know, but then that becomes the norm. You know, people are used to queuing two meters apart and, and God, you know, we're still, I don't know, so far away as well from not having to do that. I think, I don't know, who knows? But, I mean, 2020, man. 2020 is finished. (laughs) 2020 is finished. And when I say 2020 is finished, as in I'm now looking to 2021. Let's talk about 2021. Somebody somebody told me off for that, for looking ahead into 2021. But that was kind of like, I can't remember who that was. I think it was Chloe, who I had on the podcast also. And she was like, don't give up on 2020. (laughs) And I'm like, babes. Oh Can no, just... there's gonna there's gonna be a, a huge change in 2020. And when I say let's just talk about 2021, I'm talking about that's where we'll have an idea of what this new normal is. So yeah. then then you can kind of climb on whatever horse it is that you've bought and saddle up and just get ready to ride that horse for a little while. Right now, yeah. 2020 yeah. is up in the air. <laughs> yeah. Cause I think that was a thing that was giving me anxiety of you know not like you know fully but just the thought of it was making me be like oh gosh I just kind of don't like that was you know the fact that you know realistically when am I going to give you be able to give you a hug you know what I mean like when actually is that because we're still you know we're sort of in this false sense of security of when we can kind of go out and you're allowed out Mm -hmm. a little bit longer now you're allowed these pods and everything I still and and I'm like you know I'm like I'm a hugger you know like I the hug people so the thought of when that's going to be okay and when that is kind of that makes me feel a bit sad you know see I only learned how to hug a couple of years ago I was not a hugger and that's what running brought me as well oh wow yeah (laughs) yeah because what happened was basically my grand passed away and I kind of hadn't really dealt with that so running for me was therapy so the more and more I ran, the more and more I kind of cried, the more I got to know myself, the more I was happy with being vulnerable. And I realized that that was actually the problem with people trying to be emotional with me or being nice to me. Because right. like deep down inside, I was this whatever it was until I'd kind of worked through that. I couldn't let anybody else in. And I remember in 2012, 2013, the, the hugs just got tighter and more comfortable and now I'm like hey what's up let's hug but yeah well I'm glad that you're a hugger I'm a 100% hugger and I'm also the person that likes to feel people's pregnant bumps I do have to (laughs) magnetically go towards I have to be like I'm a feely person is it cool because if it's not you know anyway but Corey ah this has been Derimi Oh no, this so was a good. lot of fun. Thank you very much for having that me. So good. And I look forward to being on yours. And so for everybody who doesn't know, Corey <laughs> has just set up a podcast called Tub Hub. Is that right? Yeah, it's called the Tub Hub. 
Hub, and he does his interviews in the bath. So uh, we are going to do an interview. I just asked him, do I have to be physically in my own bath? He said, yes. I said, I'm here for that. <laughs> so uh, we will be doing that uh, very, very soon as well, which I look forward to. But thank you so much. As you know, I'm just just such a big fan of you and your work and what you've achieved. And you've done so much already. And it still feels like you're just at the beginning of so much more amazing work. So just keep doing what you're doing. Be as loud as your clothes. I love it. Um, (laughs) And yeah, what a pleasure to have you on the show. And I will see you very soon. And I don't know when I am going to be able to hug you, but I look forward to that too. And I'm glad that you are now a hugger. Jocelyn, thank you so much for having me on your show. And thank you for continuing to be a shining light that we all look to for awesomeness and wonderfulness. Because you said lots of nice things about me, but you forget that you too are also awesome. And I used to to chase you around gym box asking you for advice. So don't (laughs) pretend. (laughs) I'm like, oh, Josh, are you here? How do I lift? (laughs) How do I do pull-ups? Can you show me how to do muscle-ups? What about handstands? When are you in the gym again, Joss? Joss? Jocelyn? Joss? That's what I used to do to Jocelyn. So Jocelyn is pretending. I'm like, Jocelyn, Jocelyn, how do you do a, do a deadlift? So I should keep my back straight. Okay. So my hamstrings. Cool. Are you kipping? What's kipping? I used to chase Jocelyn around gym box. So when are you back? You're back at two. Cool. I'll be here. Babes, I love it. Always here for it. Always here for it. Except now we can't go to gyms. No. So that's another another uh, issue we have on our hands. But all good because a lot of people now have home gyms, which is sweet. So, But thank you so much, so, so very much. And I look forward to catching up again very soon with you. Bye. Bye-bye.